Welcome to Help From Future Self. With Adam and Archons, welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self, that conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, also sometimes called Alex, and I'm joined this week by my Keyforge pals. We've got SC Steel. Hey, yo. And Boulevard Blake. What's going on, coach? Hey, what's going on, man? Not too much, not too much at all. I wasn't able to be here last week on the podcast, but I had a great time listening to your conversation on the cast about what makes for an interesting game of Keyforge. That was a fascinating conversation for me, partly because I could sort of guess a little bit at your perspectives, but both of you threw in some <laughs> stuff that I wasn't thinking about at all. And so it was a really enlightening conversation for me. And I really do cherish those opportunities when I get to be part of the podcast as a listener uh, rather than a participant. It's, it's a very different experience, which kind of feeds into what we're going to be talking about on the podcast this week. But before we get to that, Blake, I understand that you have some news, breaking news, as a matter of fact. I don't know if I'd call it breaking, but uh, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, the Keyforge novel, The Quibit, The Cubit Zirconium, is out now, a Wibble and Plims investigation novel by Aconite Books with some gorgeous art on the cover done by Natalie Russo. So for those of you looking to sink your teeth into some more Keyforge this summer with some uh, reading and uh, nice fiction, I do uh, recommend be checking this out. I just got my copy this week and I'm excited to dive into it. It looks like a, a fun one. And have to grab That's that one awesome. on the Kobo. Yeah. So the topic for this week's uh, conversation, I guess, between the three of us, a more free-form kind of format, is Keyforge from a spectator versus a player perspective and what that means to us. I think that we've all been in the game long enough that obviously we've played it, but also we've done a relatively large amount of spectating where we've watched other people's games, both locally in our individual scenes. Um, all of us have watched games online. I've watched lots and lots and lots of your games, Blake, as a spectator because I've watched so many of your videos and Twitch live streams and so on and so forth. And it's a profoundly different experience, both in terms of you know which side of the camera or which side of the table you find yourself on but i think also it the terms of the ways in which we relate to the game i have a confession to make to start i oftentimes don't super enjoy spectating other people's games because all i can think about is how i would want to be doing the thing that they're doing in their scenario do either of you ever get that, that sort of urge to be like, oh, I wish I could be in that seat right now so I could be the one playing that hand? You know, you you and Sky Jedi, he actually brought this up in our uh, Discord and said the exact same thing. And I, it's funny, I couldn't disagree more. I think watching it is so entertaining. Although I do love playing the game, I'm not going to be the one piloting either of those decks. So watching the experts play their decks at expert levels, even if they're not experts, watching somebody play a deck that is theirs has a different ring to it than picking it up and playing it myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. I I don't know if I have the same view as Scuzzy, but I, I end up falling in the same purview just because of the fact that I find I don't have as much freedom to play as much as I would like sometimes, uh, except for like my stream seems to be my main way of playing. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of in that vein where it's like when I do have time to play, I'd rather play than watch. But um, I, it is fun to watch when it happens. So I find when I'm in a, in a more an event environment, 
it's really fun but i don't ever like casually watch a, a keyforge game like i know some some people do but i i do want to do it more just to see uh, i think certain things happen and see other people's train of thought and the way that they would execute their deck because i think it gleans good insight into lines that you may not always consider yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And I think perhaps Blake, you and I are a little more aligned than you think in that I do. And and, and you and myself, uh, Sydney, as well, uh, you know, I do enjoy watching high level play. Like I've certainly watched a lot of tournament finals that have been recorded or streamed or whatever else. And oftentimes those are very exciting, but it's because they're the tournament final and are being played by very skilled players with very good and very interesting decks. That's how they got to that final that makes it engaging. It's much harder for me to be engaged by a game that's just like an average game on the Crucy even if it's like a cool deck or a very good player, maybe it's something about just needing kind of the stakes to be there for me to really want to be invested in just sort of the viewing of something. I obviously the val- see the value in what you said, Blake, in terms of it as a learning tool, um, you know, observing games, watching the way people play certain kinds of decks, what kind of combos they pull out and uh, what decisions they make and analyzing that. But uh, as just a purely spectator sport for enjoyment, perhaps that's where it falls down for me i guess in sports terms like i'm a fan of the playoffs and the finals but not necessarily the season does that make sense (laughs) yeah i get that you two need less fulfilling lives because as someone who has a (laughs) lot of mindless activity to do during the day whether i'm watching the kids or, or doing the laundry or the dishes like whatever it is i will usually bring up at least during the kfpl it was great because they streamed almost every single game so i just went up and i i had a list of games to watch while i was doing something with my hands or or something else that didn't really matter and even even the normal games that that people are like the weekly um uh, featured game for coat. Those are fun too. They're they're just I I will watch Keyforge while doing something else most of the time that I'm watching average games. Mm, okay, I see what you're saying. I like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I guess um, it's probably worthwhile for us to talk about the difference between in person um, watching games and you know, watching them on a, on a computer screen. And I think both have like sort of an individual feel to them. I'm going to tell a slightly embarrassing story, which is, I don't know if you remember this, Blake, but we were doing a store event um, that had stakes, right? Like it was a tournament and there was, you know, prizes at stake. Um, I don't know if it was officially a prime or anything like that. It was at Connections, if you'll recall. And it was AOA year. I remember that. And you were in the final with that crazy Piranha Monkeys deck. Do you remember this? Probably. Is it? Is it? Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. And so everybody's gathered around the table, including myself, watching the final as it's happening. And I kept like at least three or four times said something out loud that was incorrect about a rule while the game was being played. And you know what? It was a point where I suddenly realized you are being so obnoxious. You got to walk away. <laughs> um, and it was sort of an object lesson for myself at that point, which is the, you know, let the let the judges take care of this. Let the players, you know, have this, and don't keep interjecting in a high pressure situation. It's obnoxious. Uh, you know, it's disruptive. And to be totally honest, like it doesn't 
help anybody else's experience for me to be doing that. And I guess that was also sort of one of the things that like I, I've now had to keep in mind that's made me nervous in a lot of ways about spectating. I don't want to say something or interrupt or put pressure on somebody when they're already in possibly a high pressure situation. Yeah, being mm. in the zone is totally a thing. I completely understand what you're talking about while being in person. I actually also have been shushed in person at a table. I was talking with my friend, so I wasn't actually interacting with the person, but I was right next to two people who were playing, and it was a teammate of the person who was playing who asked us to quiet down or move away just because the person was trying to focus. And I kind of understand. I also I also feel like um, I really wasn't uh, interrupting, but uh, either way, I know the pressure of being watched by people actually adds to the pressure in the game itself. No, yeah, that's that's a uh, that's a good point. Um, I've been to vault tours, and and it's it's oddly less happens less in the beginning of the tournament, and obviously day two you get more spectators. Totally, but it's definitely interesting to to see people play because you do have that moment of depending on where you're positioned, a realization that you really have to kind of keep to yourself and make sure your emotions don't get the best of you and uh, reveal anything. But it's really fun to, to just see that and, and be in that atmosphere. And I think that's a big part of anything that you spectate with. When you have the energy of a crowd with you, it, it makes it way more exciting to be involved in that event or that moment, whether you are participating or just uh, spectating, which I think is quite interesting. Does it change either of your level of interest if you can see the hands the players are playing with, whether they're revealed on TCO or I guess in person, you can see the side that you're standing on. But if you like walk around the table and see the sides of both hands. It definitely does. Um, oftentimes in person, you just have, unless you've played that person's deck, you will not have seen the Archon card. So, you know, there's basically no way for you to really know anything about the deck until a card is played unless you can see the player's hand. And I find that adds a lot of intrigue for me from the perspective of I like seeing the way people play the hand they're dealt. I find that to be pretty interesting. Um, oftentimes, you know, because if it's a, a cool high level deck and a cool high level player, it gives me an avenue to analyze why they're doing things in a certain way. And oftentimes I find the way I, I, I do it is I play it out in my head. And that's kind of where my statement at, right off the top of, I wish I was in that seat playing that hand comes from because that's often where my mind goes. But it's also super interesting for me to see how people play the hand that ends up differing from how I would have played it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's my favorite is when, is when you see something happen in a interesting interaction that could be very unique. I think a lot of times that those interactions come from a rare card with a common card happening to be there, which is not seen that often or like a rare and an uncommon or a rare and a rare, probably more likely just because you don't get to see that as frequently and it's less likely to be in the same deck together. So that gives that opportunity to see something and then you instantly have this, well, I wonder if I have any decks with that sort of feeling into it. There was also this period of time, I don't know if you guys remember, where uh, us down here in America didn't actually have our hands on any dark tidings. And so there are a lot of times <laughs> where I will vicariously live through whoever I'm watching. And whether that is a little bit of learning about the cards, but also just like wishing I'd seen these cards in my own hands first. But in general, whether it's like watching the, the top table at a tournament or uh, watching as many streams as possible, playing a new set coming out that I can't 
get my hands on. I really feel like living vicariously through the people who are playing is a big part of watching a really cool game. Mm, I like that. Yeah, that's a good one. There's there's such a distinction, I think, in in spectating Keyforge specifically because there's a meta, but it's not a meta in the same way that a lot of other um, like TCG games have a meta wherein there's established like, you know, templates for successful decks, then everything is just a variation on those, right? Like you almost never see something come up in Pokemon or Magic or what have you that is an entirely new archetype that nobody else has ever come up with before. It's all variations on a theme with new pieces involved. Whereas with Keyforge, you know, it's similar in that you get certain archetypes of decks, but because you can't pre-construct them, you end up with decks that are almost always, you know, just uh, they follow certain archetypes, but they're always extremely unique in that. It's very rare that I've ever looked at two decks and gone like, oh, those are almost identical. Like that never happens to me, not in my mm -hmm. own collection, mm -hmm. not when I've gone through other people's collections and compared it to my collections, not when I've gone and looked for similar decks online. And so spectating Keyforge does allow you to see a lot of things that you might not get to see otherwise which I think is one interesting aspect of it whereas I think that you could easily look at like say a magic tournament results and just see here's what the top five decks okay this one's you know whatever archetype that is that one's a popular archetype that one's a popular archetype and you don't even have to look at the card list you just know what they are with Keyforge you have to dig a lot deeper to really and probably watch them get played in order to really like get that experience from it. And I guess that adds a real dimensionality to it that has a lot of value for folks. I, I would guess it does. Any thoughts on that? Oh, totally. I actually think you made a great point that other games, whether uh, TCG or, or LCG, they they have a way of ending very quickly. Like I think it, it, it might be Yu-Gi-Oh! Where like if a game isn't won in the first like one or two turns, that's surprising. Something where like the absolute best deck is trying to win on turn two. Whereas in, in Keyforge, maybe, maybe it just hasn't evolved to that point yet. But because you can't construct your deck, you're actually stuck with cards that won't get you the win condition that quickly. So watching a game of Keyforge is actually also interesting because of the amount of time it takes. Whether that goes to time or otherwise, it's still something you're probably going to wait to see a win condition farther along in the game rather than in your first couple of hands. Yeah, I like that. I, I know it. I know what you're saying. There's... Um... I've personally had experiences when I was playing Pokemon. There was a deck that, like you said, it was net decked. It was an archetype. And the list was you could find like a couple people were playing it that day. And I knew within like a few turns, like I'm digging for a very specific card because once that card comes out, the game is completely shifted in my favor. And you just kind of play to that. And it, it feels almost very one dimensional where I think Keyforge doesn't have that. And like you said, Sydney, it's uh, it makes it very interesting to see that perspective and what line are they going to take. And it's even more interesting when you kind of know what's in their deck list. So this would come from spectating online and you kind of make a, like a, I guess your own analysis of the deck and think, oh, the deck's going to go this direction. And then it doesn't. That's always a fun thing to witness. Mm -hmm, totally. Um, I guess the value in a lot of ways, um, and this probably speaks to my personality a little bit that, you know, it's only in having this discussion with both of you that this has really become apparent to me, um, is that it's all about perspectives in Keyforge. Um, 
it's very obvious to me that when I watch somebody else play one of my decks, I learn something more about that deck because I'm me. I can't see that deck through somebody else's eyes. Um, but that same lesson can be applied to watching other people play their decks or random decks, right? So watching somebody play a super high-level deck with skill, I can learn lessons about Keyforge in the same way that I learn lessons from watching, you know, my opponent play my deck in a game of reversal or something else to that effect. That's like the perfect segue for me. Um, we just played the Keyforge... Canada versus USA event on the past weekend and uh, Team USA won for those of you wondering and uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun because the the format was called Red Rover where you call someone out and they were a there was like basically a defender for each side and then you chose two other players to go against your defender and the person who the two people who were chosen could have the rest of their entire team on voice with them playing the game with them and acting wow. with their turn. So you're like spectating, but you're also a part of it at the same time. So you could have full discussions about how your turn should be taken, what needs to be considered. And it was really fun. And especially because there was no limit to the deck you could have. You could literally net deck the highest SAS deck you saw and just play that. And I feel like maybe that was a thing. But there was like some wild stuff that happened as a result. And you got to see crazy decks being played. And then you got to have this fun team discussion about the best lines of play and and fully discussed and thought out, which you could never, ever do in a real life team event because the people would be able to hear what you're saying and you have that time to just have a full conversation. Well, if you play card A, make sure you consider X, Y, Z. And it was a, it was a really interesting uh, format for the, the team aspect. Like it really embodied that and it really had that feeling of being a spectator and participating at the same time, which was really neat. That's so cool. So that actually brings up a good point. What do you guys think about the talking about decks before a game is played or the afterwards talking like the commentators talking about the game that was just played or even possibly getting on the phone one of the two participants? Like, what do you think about the extras that sometimes sandwich in uh, watching a game of Keyforge? Um. I'm interested in hearing people talk about decks always and specifically decks that they're passionate about. Oftentimes, though, that isn't always related to the deck being like this high level deck that, you know, has lots of of, of sort of, you know, uh, upside from a tournament perspective. Oftentimes, I really just like listening to people talk about their decks that they've played that are just, you know, perhaps average, but are special to them because it does a very specific thing or is, you know, has a weird combo or plays in a very unusual way. So I guess on, on paper, I like that sort of thing, Sydney, but oftentimes it's at a certain point, I'm not only interested in hearing about the best decks, if that makes sense. Sure. And I find that because of, you know, sort of that that kind of commentary is lent to tournament play. And, you know, they aren't interviewing guy who gets knocked out in round one about what deck he played. You know, you sort of get a, a lesser cross section of interesting decks. Blake, while you were playing the Red Rover game, did the opponent actually get to hear what you were saying to your teammates? No, no, we were in like a private channel. Like there was a Team Canada channel and then a Team USA channel and, and then each players would have their their own sort of situation. And the funny thing was in some rounds, the same, all the people playing would be using the same deck for a team. Oh. USA did this more than Team Canada, but yeah, they would literally like, so there's like three games going at once, potentially. Uh, three games? Like, no, there's two games going at once and both players are playing the same deck, which is kind of interesting. 
crazy. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, it's been a very interesting discussion, I think, in a lot of ways. There's definitely more that can be said on the topic. But uh, one of the things that I think I'm most interested in from the perspective of observation is learning. And that's kind of what this podcast is all about. It's about learning and about sharing those lessons, which is a great segue into the titular segment of the podcast. Help Help from from future self. Blake, I understand you have one for us this week. Yes, Alex. Uh, so this one is is more some general advice that I have just recently been imparted with and I would like to share with anyone else out there who creates content, is streaming, and has a voice element with your opponent. TCO is not the best for communicating what is going on. And I had someone in my YouTube recently comment on how my opponent was articulating their turns with me and stating all the cards they were playing. And as a spectator watching the video, they said they really valued that because they really understood what was going on in the game and they were able to understand everything was happening on a higher level. So if you are a Keyforge player and making content or in a situation where the your voice is being uh, audible to anyone viewing, make sure each of you Dictate your turns as if you would in real life. And I think that's actually just in general, if you're on voice with anyone right now playing, if you're not being recorded, start doing that because we are getting to a point where we're going to get to be in person again. And I think we probably have all developed really bad habits of not communicating our turns, which I think will become very apparent when we all start getting together and playing. So it's good practice in general. And I think it will really help people who are watching you play as well. That's an absolutely great lesson. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me as Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram and on The Crucible and on Twitter. Sydney, where can they find you and what have you got going on? So I am SC Steel on TCO and Discord, and I am still working hard on Keyforge Live. As you hear this, the hotel block closes tomorrow. So Friday the 2nd is your last day to get a hotel room for Keyforge Live at the uh, rate that we've negotiated with the hotel. And as a reminder, Keyforge Live is July 23rd through 25th in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we'll have uh, three deck Archon Survival on Friday. Sealed Mass Mutation on Saturday and a team event on Sunday. So come on out. And Blake, what have you got going on right now and where can folks find you? You can find me on Twitter at Boulevard Blake. That's B-L-V-D Blake. And also on my YouTube. And right now I just wrapped up my AOA Adaptive Tournament, which was a lot of fun. It was really great to get some interactions with people in the community that I have not interacted with before and also get to play AOA in a way that I felt shed some really nice and fun gameplay with. And I'm definitely going to be following this up with a Worlds Collide version of this in the future. All right. It's been a terrific conversation. I really, really enjoyed myself chatting with my good friends about one of my favorite topics. Let's do it again next week. Are you guys cool with that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Until then, dear listener, stay fortunate.